On uh, November 25th, 1980, one of the greatest boxing matches of all time went down in New Orleans at the Superdome. Some of you weren't even born yet, so some of you are like, oh, great, a history lesson today. For those of us that were alive at that point, uh, may remember that this was the fight between Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Leonard. Now, this was actually the second fight that they had had, okay? Uh, matter of fact, Roberto Duran was 72-1 and one at this point. He had won 45 consecutive fights. That's a pretty good streak in boxing. He had actually beaten Sugar Ray Leonard once, and this was now the rematch. Well, it was heralded as one of the greatest fights of all time, and it really, really was one of the greatest fights of all time because something that had never historically happened uh, happened in the middle of this fight. It was in the eighth round, and they were going toe-to-toe. Most people will tell you that every round was within a point or two between each fighter. So they're going head-to-head, hand-to-hand. They're fighting it out in the middle of this grand moment. And in the eighth round, Roberto Duran said these two words, no mas, which means no more. That's as much Spanish as I've got today, okay? No more. And so what happened is he turns and he looks at the referee, and he says, no mas, and the fight's done. He just stops. He quit right in the middle of this championship fight. It's intriguing if you watch Roberto Duran's history from this point on. Because Roberto Duran, this is the second loss in 74 fights. It's incredible. That's, that's legendary, mythical in a boxer's history. But after this, he decides to go up a weight class. He decides to fight a different group of people. And some would say that the second half of his career or his second career in boxing is just mediocre. Some would say that that fight was so so decisive, it shifted his will to fight. Now, as we've been in this series, Mastermind, We've been, uh, we've been talking about this battle that we're having in our own mind. How we fight day in and day out. There are truths of God's word that we need to be consuming on a regular basis. But there are also lies of this world that the enemy puts in front of us. And oftentimes we allow the, the enemy to have his day with us. Then to surrender as people who fight for the greater good of what God may be trying to do in our lives. Through our lives and in our world. And some of us today, maybe we're hearing this illustration and we're, we're automatically applying this. We're recognizing that some of us in this room, maybe we're Roberto Duran. Maybe we're the person that says, you know what, I'm just at a point in my life where it's just no more. No more, I just can't do it. I'm done fighting. And what we have understood about this series out of Mastermind is that we're looking at the wrong person. God is calling us to be Sugar Ray Leonard to continue to take on our adversaries and learn how to have decisive fights where we beat the fool out of the thoughts that need to be destroyed. To the point that they say, no mas. And we change the way that we live. Now we've been unpacking this thought all throughout this series. This truth. Our lives are always heading in the direction of our strongest thoughts. We've talked about this a little bit about how, uh, where we've gone in our own lives, how our past has impacted our present, how even walking in this room, some of us already had a, a checklist we were walking through and marking off of things we were liking or not liking or responding or not responding to and how, how, how just the way we live, we have to change the way that we think. We started in week one saying that there's this battlefield between God's truth and Satan's lies. 
And when they go head to head, we have to be the kind of people that if we're going to surrender our lives to God, we have to arrest that thought, present it before God, until it, and submit it until it quits, until it gives up its life. It's a long fight. It's a long journey. Second week, we began to talk about, uh, we used the illustration of these ping pong balls, that our minds are filled with all sorts of thoughts. And most of us, when we think about meditating or meditating on God's word, we think about just emptying our mind, just dumping it out. But empty minds, emptying your mind leads to an empty mind. That what's required is that we begin to refill our mind with things that matter. And that when we fill our minds with the truth of God, the other thoughts are wasted away. They're removed. But last week, we spent some time talking about how we need to reframe. Reframe our past and reframe our present so that we can reframe our future. And we talked about how that does not remove some of the experiences that we had. It, it, it just doesn't deny some of the things that we've gone through. But what it does is it allows us to begin to relook at where we've been, who God is creating us to be, so that we can now look and become the people that God wants us to become. So here's really what we want to unpack today. We're going to ask you to train your mind with the truths of God. Winning this battle day in and day out, living a lifestyle that's surrendered to God in every moment, in every moment, in every relationship, in every circumstance, in every emotion, is a battle that we have to fight and wage on a regular basis to where we are training our mind intentionally to think and act and respond in a way that honors God. Now, a couple of disclaimers we've tried to say throughout this series. One, first and foremost, I am not a professional. I'm no licensed counselor. I'm no licensed therapist. But we're sharing some of the journey that we have gone through to help us all understand who we've been. And I've been open to, con to actually confess my own journey of depression and how I've walked through certain things and have to actually go through a diagnosis to really understand where my mind has been, how my life has been lived out. And we talked about how depression can come on, one, through genetics, second, through environment, and third, through just bad thinking. And so with professional help, with a conversation opportunity, and a changed discipline, my mindset, my lifestyle has been changing significantly in how I approach and how I live out my own life. But depression and anxiety and trauma and stress and worry, we're not trying to confront them as sins, but we're trying to raise them to an issue of that they may be a sign of an illness. And if we are sick, if we have an illness, we should get help. And as a church, we want to be a kind of church that talks about emotional and mental health to be able to help bring life back to the lives around us. If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 12 today. We're going to start there. And these two verses have kind of been the umbrella by which we've opened up this conversation. For many of you, you've, you've shared with me how this has kind of uh, opened a can of worms, so to speak, in your own life, in your own walk, and how you're looking at your life. But here's what Paul says, and Paul has been living out his own journey of a changed mindset. As a man who was fighting against God, living against God, had a come-to-Jesus moment with God, and in his transformation realizes that everything that he thinks, says, and does has to be renewed, has to be transformed, has to be lived differently, because everything he was banking on, he was rebelling against. Here's what he says in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. 
Do not, conform in, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and to approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and his perfect will. Paul's emphasis is the idea of this renewal that has to play out in all of us. That when we come into a relationship with Christ, there is a battle that begins. Who we used to be is not who we're becoming. And the way that we used to think and the way we used to prioritize and the way we used to look at our life has to be put to death. It has to be put behind us so that we can grow and mature and become like Christ. But this idea of renewal gives us an idea of that there is a repetitive style of living, a daily act of obedience where we begin to allow the power of God work in us by the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to transform us. And as we surrender and say yes to God in obedience, there becomes a better way to live, a superior mindset, a help that actually allows us to flourish, not to be defeated, to live victorious rather than to feel destroyed and downtrodden. So when I hear passages like this, you know, I'm, I'm like, this is, this is what I've got to know. This is what I've got to understand. Why? Because only a renewed mind acts in renewed ways. Meaning you can't just change a few habits. You can't just do a couple of tricks differently with your life for you really to be renewed, to be transformed, to now begin to bring new life. You can manipulate and you can manage the stress in your life. But if you want to be transformed, if you want to live with a sense of freedom and enjoyment and fulfillment out of our lives, we have to be the kind of people that would surrender our lives to God, to the way that he thinks, to the words that he teaches, to the values that he embraces, and make it so that it is now natural in everything that we do. But maybe you're like me. Maybe you find yourself some days just getting up and going, come on, man, what's going on? I thought I had beat this. I thought I was over this. Why do I keep doing the same things over and over? Why does my mind drift there? I mean, I, I've got some battles that I wrestle with since junior high, since high school. And I'm a grown man of 47 years of age. And yet, some of that is because of this. Maybe I haven't truly trained my mind and renewed it. Maybe I haven't really surrendered it before God, but I've just tried to keep tweaking it to make it better. Maybe I'm claiming the truths of God, but I'm still letting my mind be, be worked over by the patterns of this world, giving in to what maybe everybody else expects. So Paul gives this battle. He says, do not conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he's laying out that there is this battle. And some of you experience a battle, whether you have a relationship with God or not. But the tension is in this situation that you are learning or knowing what God wants you to do. But you're still living out a life that's standing against it. And you will always be in conflict until you make peace with it before God. Maybe you're trying to control everything that you can around you. And you need to learn how to let God be in control. Or maybe you're just telling yourself everything you think you need to hear, but you don't even hear what God's trying to teach you in those moments. Or maybe just pragmatically, so much of our life is about keeping up with everybody else that we never take a moment to try and keep up with Jesus. I mean, that's our focus as, as Christians, right? As disciples, as students. Who is Jesus? How did he live? And what does it mean for my life? What do we need to do in those moments? 
I think most of us, when we're training our minds, we think of our, our, our runaway thoughts in our minds, don't we? I mean, maybe there's some students in this room right now that, you know, they're getting ready to head towards finals week. And as they're heading towards final weeks, they're like, man, I just got, I got to get these good grades. I got to pass this class. Because if I don't get good grades, I can't get into a good school. If I don't get into a good school, I can't get a good job. If I don't get a good job, I don't get a good spouse. If I, if I don't get a good spouse, I can't get kids. And then I have kids. If we do have kids and I do get married and I do have a good job, and I, then, then, then I'm going to raise kids in a world that's, that's going to hell in a handbasket, right? It's, there's, there's sin and sex and drugs. and You start, you understand what I'm saying? Now, here's the beautiful thing that all of us as adults can say. Isn't it good as adults that those thoughts only happen as when we're students? We now have our minds so under control and we don't let things run away. No, we do, don't we? We do. And some of our worst runaway moments of our minds, we take out on our children, don't we? Because they don't know what's around the corner. They don't know how hard it is. We've got to clamp that underneath. Because you know what our generation needs to hear? It's how God helped us overcome those moments. How God worked in our lives to trust when we didn't know who to trust. How we found peace when everybody else kept giving this look like, how are you going to make it? And God worked in those moments for us. So where does this, where does this training and power to, to not conform, to, to, to renew who we are, come from? Well, Paul began to describe it basically with this idea of it's really about this pathway. It's this, this discipline in the way that we think to the way that we live that sets us into a pattern of behavior that either leads us towards one of health and consuming what matters or pushes us away and leads us towards an unhealthy life. I mean, it's just like anything, like any health, whether it's spiritual or physical, you've got to put in the time. You've got to live out the disciplines to see the fruit grow from those moments. So Paul says this, he's writing to a, a group of people in, in Rome, he's challenged them in the way that they think, and he's challenged them how to live out their life. He says this, chapter 8, verse 1, therefore there is no condemnation, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So he condemned the sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Yeah, met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Sorry, just a, a blank out on there for a moment. Paul's beginning to describe very simply here that there's a, there's a life that we have because of Jesus and there's a life that we should have left because of Jesus. Now understand this, Paul is trying to give kind of a picture of who Jesus is at this point. Who he is, what he's about, and why he is our Savior and Lord. And Paul describes him through some terms that we don't usually throw on Jesus. Be, you know, the sinful flesh, sin offering. But Paul is not trying to say that Jesus is sinful, but Paul is describing that even Jesus, when he came on this earth, being fully God and fully human, was in a body that would die, that would get sick, and that would experience B.O. It was as broken as our body was. It is going to die. And so Paul is describing this relationship with God that he's saying, Christ played this role out for us 
so that we could have new life. We would not experience the condemnation. We would not experience the death that all of humanity had experienced at that point. We would know that there is a new way to live and an eternal life that can only be found in Jesus. But there's this dichotomy. To no longer live by the flesh, but to learn how to live by the Spirit. That we would be renewed. That a surrendered life would continue day in and day out to say yes to what God calls of us or convicts us towards. And as we say yes in obedience and surrender, it becomes a regular pattern of the life that we're a part of. We don't live according to to the flesh, but we live according to the Spirit. But think about this for a moment. What are your strongest thoughts about? For many of us, it's our bills, it's our careers, it's our relationships, our status, and those are very much things of this world. Instead of being driven by the Spirit about love, compassion, things of eternity, the value in humanity. See, here's what Paul's describing is this. Faith in Jesus provides life with the Spirit. Friends, it's only when we have a relationship with Christ do we begin to experience true life. And so maybe even today you're finding yourself battling your thoughts, you're battling your life, you're battling your relationships around you. And you're working hard and you're making changes and you're drawing diagrams on how your life's going to be different, but you're just exhausted in the middle of it. It's because we are wired for God's strength, God's power to be at work in us and fuel us to diminish those strongholds to change those patterns of thinking and and relationship, to give us courage and boldness to do this day in and day out, to make the wise, to make the difficult, to make the tough decisions so that we naturally begin to lean into what God wants from us. Here's what Paul continues to go on and say when he speaks in verse 5. You know, those who live according to the flesh... They have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is, what's that word? Death. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and it is peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God, nor can it do so. And those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. And that's a, that's a pretty intimidating passage, isn't it? Let's take a poll for a moment, can we? Can we just pause and think about some things in our own life? I don't want you to raise your hand, okay? But I want you to think about this. Is your life or your mindset, I mean, the way you make decisions, the thought processes that you live out, the pathways that exposed, are they built on a, on a life that's built towards the flesh? Or are they built on a life towards the spirit? And I just want you to just think about it for a moment. And the tension that you wage in your own life, in your own heart, the anxiety that you feel, the worry that you, you battle, the depression that you go up against when you think of, what are the things you're really gravitating towards and focusing on? Are you focusing on things that are temporary and earthly and just day-to-day? Or are you 
Are you resonating in God's purpose and work in your own life so that you can see a grander picture that maybe God's in the midst of some of this, changing you, transforming you? I mean, the flesh itself, if it wins the day, everything about the flesh says, if it feels right, it must be right. If it's successful, it must be spiritual, right? That's what the flesh teaches us. But you know what following God teaches us? Sometimes doing the harder thing will mature you better than anything else. Something that may be difficult and you don't want in your life may be the best way of growing you into God's likeness. I mean, that's why we wage so much, right? Because we live in a world that's built on success, enjoyment, and comfort, and God builds the life of faith and trust and surrender. And those things are in a conflict with each other. So maybe it's important for us to understand this, that the mind that's led by the Spirit finds life and it finds peace. Isn't that a gift? And when we can be the kind of people that every day, every relationship, every circumstance, every decision, when we take it before God and we understand that God is ultimately in control and God is ultimately at work and that the only decision we really need to make is, God, how would, should I respond in this moment? And then let the chips fall where they may. See how God may be able to grow us and change us and transform us. And it may not be easy peasy, but we could say the opposite of that last truth. We could say that the mind led by flesh finds death and hostility. Could you find yourself maybe in a relationship that's nothing about fighting or battle at home or at work or at play? Because selfishness is what's desired more than maybe surrender. We have to be the kind of people that say yes to God regularly in obedience. We need to be the kind of people that choose our path regular. Scripturally, would even say daily. We need to begin to find and follow Jesus, not only through the words of Scripture, but in the way God may be moving in our world so that in every circumstance, in every relationship, it becomes natural to pursue God just because God has already pursued you. And begin to believe that I can take care of what I can And what I can't, I'm going to give back to God. There are some things that I can do. I can begin to pray. I can begin to read. I begin to maybe be able to jump into a group, into a relationship with people. There are some things that we can't do. We can't control everything that happens to us. We can't control the people around us. Right, moms? (laughs) It is Mother's Day, and it's, it's hard to control all of it. So I want to leave you with one passage before we begin to head towards the response time. Paul takes a moment to pour his life into a young man named Timothy. And Timothy is a young pastor that is beginning to prioritize how he wants to lead his church and the kind of values he wants people to begin to understand. And so Paul begins to to, to help him set a pace that people won't look down on him for, for being so young in ministry or being so zealous. He says, "Let's, let's prioritize these things. Here's what he says. Have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present and the, the, the present life and the life to come. This is trustworthy. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That's why we labor, we strive, we fight, because we put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, 
especially to, to those who believe. Paul begins to point to Timothy and says, you know what, there are some things you just got to put out of your life. There's some old patterns. There's some old things that just because it worked, just because it practical, doesn't mean that it's best for you in your spiritual walk. You got to put those things beside you. You need to learn how to live a life of faith that is anchored in Scripture, reflective of the character of God, but fueled by His Holy Spirit. But let me, let me talk about what happens often for many of us. When hardship comes, when dark thoughts, when battles and wages of war happen within our mind, and many of us respond in, in what we talk about when we speak of isolation. Craig Rochelle is a pastor who actually did a series very similar to this. He says this statement, isolation is the quickest way to lose the war of the mind. Let me say that again. Isolation is the quickest way to lose the war of the mind. Now, I want you to think about this pragmatically for a moment. We are not talking about taking time just to, to catch our breath. We're not talking about just taking a, a time out, Right? And we're certainly not talking about solitude. You know, solitude is about us getting away to be with God so that as we're with God, we can go back and live well with people. There's always relationship in it. I think what we're talking about here is when, when things don't go right between relationships and we draw that line and we cut people off. You know what I'm talking about? Something happens at home between spouses we draw a line of isolation. Maybe they'll feel the pain. Maybe they'll understand my hurt. Maybe I can get a little bit of a moment to catch their attention with this. We learn this sometimes as children, right? If I don't get my way, <laughs> I throw a fit. I get all the attention on me. I'll be transparent with you. When I'm having a stressful day and I got a lot to get things to get done, my favorite thing to do is to hop in my truck, grab my laptop, Hit the open road, turn the music up really loud, let the windows down and remind myself of what it used to feel like with my mullet blowing in the hair. And then I go, to, uh, I go to Buffalo Wild Wings. And some of you know that's my office, away from my office. And I usually have somebody with me because when I'm alone and I'm not in a good mindset, I want to surround myself with as much noise. <laughs> I, I, want, I want as much stimuli around me as possible so that when I bury my head in my computer, nobody wants to talk to me and I can just be away and get alone. And sometimes that's, that's not what's best for me. Uh, maybe you're not an isolationist, though. Maybe you're an insulationist. Let me, let, me, let me explain it to you this way. So isolation is where you remove yourself where nobody can get to you. Insulation is when you put yourself in people but nobody's going to get to you. Let me tell you how I hear this pastorally. Danny, I really love your church. A lot of people go to your church, and you know what I love most about your church? <laughs> the anonymity that I can experience when I walk into your church. Friends, I'm going to tell you, that's not healthy. That's not spiritual maturity. That's not living a life that God's called us to live out. We were meant to be connected. And so sometimes I'll, I'll ask people, well, tell me, tell me who you've made relationships with people in the church. And they'll say, well, I know you. I know Jeff. Uh, I know Aaron. I know, and they start listing off staff. Now, we are great friends. There is no doubt our staff are wonderful people to build friendships with. But we can't just build friends with staff. We should be building relationships with each other. That's why, as staff, we're all in groups with you. 
Not because we're smart or good looking, even though those are true. (laughs) But because outside of community, we can isolate ourselves. We can make our faith only about us. And that's why being rooted in a church is so important. Because oftentimes our isolation and our insulation is a mark of an area of our life that needs to mature and grow in community. Where people are counting on us just like we're counting on them. And people are surrendering their life and sacrificing for each other. I mean, let's be honest. It's great to come to a church where you can throw something in the plate and all all the issues of the world get taken care of. You know what's even better? When we as groups and individuals lock arms together, roll up our sleeves and open our wallets as friends to a world that needs it. But that only happens in a community when we have a healthy mindset before God and a healthy mindset with each other. Let me give you a couple examples real quick. There's a, there's a book out there right now that you can get. It's called Switch on Your Brain. It's written by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. It's, she does a neurotheology, okay? I can't even spell that for Scrabble, but that's what she does, okay? She says that 13 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change your brain so much to the extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. You want to change the way that you think? You want to live differently in the world that you're a part of? 13 minutes a day of focused prayer, of surrendering your life before God, can change your mind to the point that it shows up on a brain scan. That's mind renewal. A, a study was recently done about spiritual growth, and their comment was this, is if you would take at least four times a week, 15 moments a time in the same spot, that if you would do your devotion 14, or excuse me, four times a week, 15 minutes in that chair each time, you will become 600% more joyful, more fulfilled, and pleased with your life and your walk before God. An hour a week with God, not this hour a week of God, an hour a week with God, four times, 15 minutes, same spot before God, 600 Hundred percent. I just like 20 minutes of freedom in my life, right? That's life changing. But that only happens when we're the kind of people that wrestle with scripture, live a life of prayer. Truth of the matter is, people, that oftentimes as we become adults, we distance ourselves more and more in our faith. Our belief in God just allows us just to walk with confidence. We don't have to put in much. We don't have to do much. And after a while, we find ourselves wrapped around the axle, so to speak, of life. And time after time, I see young adults who, who want to have a faith with God that begin to disconnect with their faith. And it's not because they weren't taught. It's not because they didn't know. It's not because they didn't have a, a, an opportunity to use their gifts. Oftentimes, it's because when we step out on our own and we experience freedom, we begin to pursue a freedom of the flesh rather than a a surrender towards the Spirit. And so everything that we learn and everything we begin to experience, we're investing and we're investing and we're investing in, and all of a sudden, 
It's no wonder our, our, our families, our students come back and say, I'm not sure what I believe about God. And then you ask the question, are you growing that relationship? Are you investing in your time? And the truth of the matter is, your walk with God is directly proportional to the way that you'll live out your faith in the world and all its obstacles. If you're not surrendering on a regular basis, if you're not growing in that, you are doomed to find yourself by your strength, by your might, to fight against this world. And that's why it's so exhausting. That's why it's so exhausting. So here's our final marching orders. Here's what we have to say. That I'm going to do what I can and give to God what I can't. Some of us need to commit today that we're going to pray. We're going to jump into a group. We're going to join a church. We're going to stop isolating, stop insulating. Maybe we need to see professional help. Maybe we need to have some conversations. Maybe we just need to be the kind of people that begin making wise choices, regular choices before God. And what we can't control, only God can control, our circumstances and the choices of others will let them be where they are in God's hands. So when we're anxious, we've got to remind ourselves the world won't fall apart. God is in control. We feel stressed. We must be reminded that it's the peace of God that comes from his word, from the obedience of his spirit that begins to transform us. When we feel incompetent or unworthy, we must be reminded that his grace is sufficient. When we're overwhelmed, we must be reminded that our God is with us and for us. His mercies are new every day. When we're worried and beat down, we must be reminded that God is our strength, even when, our, even when we're weak. To be the kind of people that will follow his spirit, to live a life of surrender towards Jesus, and not one that's simply fueled by what we want. Let's move to our time of response. You know, sometimes when you have these conversations on Mother's Day, it can be difficult. Maybe we hoped we would have a little more touchy-feely, butterfly-flying, flowers-blowing kind of conversation. But friends, there's been a lot of things just stirring in my mind over this series. It's been encouraging to hear people talk about and walk through their issues of health or mental health and realize that we have one life to give back to God and, and what's at stake in the community around us. When our relationship with God is not strong, it's not close, it's not in, and we're not able to lead our homes, our workplaces, our friends towards God. Friends, I, I'm like you. I, I drift as much as anybody else. I find myself in patterns of behavior and unhealth. And until this year, I, I, I haven't experienced the victory that I've had in my relationship with God with that I'm starting to feel on a, on a regular basis. I'm starting to know that things are really changing in who I am and the world around me. But for many of us, we just kind of put kind of some of these growth areas off to the side, these issues of the flesh, we kind of ignore them. Sometimes we even wear them as kind of a badge. Like some people, maybe you're described as sometimes harsh, maybe even rude. You know, you, you just say it how it is. You're the, you're the truth teller, you know? Sometimes you're described maybe as insensitive, 
heartless, selfish, apathetic. And you hear these words come out of people because they're, they're recognizing something in you that's, that's, that's not, not, not good. It's not of God. Sometimes when we, somebody says we're rude and we say, well, I'm just trying to say it how it is. I'm just trying to share the truth. What your friend's trying to tell you is, you know, I really don't care if it's true or not. You're just kind of a jerk. Friends, that's unhealth. Sometimes your friends may say, you know, you're really kind of critical. And you, you may say something like, hey, I have the ability to see problems that nobody else sees. And, and friends, if I'm heading towards a cliff and about to fall off and I have no clue, be critical in my life. But if you hop in your vehicle when you leave today and you score, whether you like the music or if the lights were this much or that much, or you start questioning motives of people, or you start, start going, man, I, that kid sweats a lot. Yeah, I do. Your criticism doesn't come off as problem solving. It comes off as somebody who's insecure and needs to make everybody else feel smaller so that you can feel bigger. And Christians, we have been those people. We have been overtly judgmental. We've come into this gathering and we've pointed at people and saying, they're not this, they're not this, they're not this. Who are we? Who am I? Yesterday, my son at Franklin Middle School struck the stage after they had gotten done with uh, Aladdin. The cast gathered together and the News Gazette released an article yesterday that a 14-year-old boy was shot and killed in our community. I'm going to tell you that our political posts on Facebook don't help. Whether you're for guns or against guns, getting louder is not leading anybody towards the love of God. But if we would change our thoughts, if as Christ followers we would be less concerned about what we gain for ourselves, what we like for ourselves, the convenience that we can find, the comfort that we can embrace, and we would start saying, okay, God, if it's the hard decision, if it's the tough decision, if it's the decision that makes me surrender, then God, help me bend my knees, help me extend my hands, help me to lift my heads, that I would trust that you and you alone can change us. Because I will tell you, no law will be written no lifestyle will be controlled. No decision in culture will fix what heals the broken mind of our world. It's only by the power of God's spirit. And the greatest testimony that could change our world is if we would be fully surrendered before God. If we would think and speak and love as Jesus would. And the world could say, that's life. That's peace. This is death. This 
is hostility. And we could say, come with me. Come with me. I dream of a day when our policemen can really spend their time playing ball with kids in neighborhoods, helping people find cats out of their trees. I dream of a day when our children go outside and they don't worry about who's living in their neighborhood or the evil that lurks around the corner. I dream of a day when Christ followers step into darkness and they enjoy it because they know the light of Christ overcomes it all. We don't live by fear. We don't live by anxiety. We don't live by anger or by violence. But we live in confidence and compassion and the justice of God to be Christians, people like Jesus. That's what we want. Friends, we have a chance to respond in this moment. Some of you will write things on your cards, uh, maybe a prayer request or a next step decision of faith to get in a group, to get involved with the church, whatever it may be. Several of you will come and you'll pray, and I pray that there are prayers of repentance today and prayers of celebration of how we're overcoming this. Now, this series has helped us overcome our, our mindsets. There will be a moment where many of us will go to these tables, the six of them around the room, where there is bread and juice, and we're reminded that God's body was broken, his blood was, blood was shed. This is the payment for our sin and death. This reminds us of the power that God has placed in us a resurrection power to overcome and transform. And many of us will grab our phones, we'll use our Give app, we'll respond, we'll surrender our wallet, we'll give in our given respond boxes. But friends, it's more than just singing, it's more than just standing, it's more than just eating and drinking or praying or giving. It's committing that every day we will live our life for the glory and the honor of Christ alone. And that together, we will be a community that steps into the darkness with confidence that God's compassion and his justice will change our world through his love. So let's stand. Let's respond. But let's do it in a way today that it leads us into a life of repeatable, regular responses of obedience back to God. Let's respond.